right, we're going to be in Luke 24, starting in verse 13 today. If you will, grab uh, your Bible, Bible app, whatever, get on over there, get in front of you. Uh, and just <clears throat> reminder, right, last week we, we saw Mary and Joanna and, and other women, these uh, disciples of the Lord, uh, who in the early dawn arrive at the empty tomb where they receive this message from God's angels, right, who are dressed in dazzling clothing. <clears throat> and the angel's message was, was this, that Jesus is not here, but has risen. Uh, they went and, and told the apostles uh, and the other disciples who, who didn't believe this good news. In fact, they uh, thought that these women had absolutely lost their marbles, and that's the reason they're telling this story. Uh, Peter then ran to the tomb, and with his own eyes, he sees the empty tomb. Uh, and then he meandered home, marveling, and that's where we left off. So a lot of it kind of up in the air at this point. Uh, in our passage today, it's, it's still this very first Lord's Day. It's that Sunday. It's later in the day. Uh, the location has changed <clears throat> a bit. Uh, we're going to actually see Jesus in this passage, which we didn't last week. Uh, and so let's read it, and then we're going to un- unpack it. Now, follow along. Luke 24, uh, verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Amasis, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking to each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you, as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and and when they they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that that he was alive. Some of those who, who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe, All the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, draw us into your word this morning as as we learn from this interaction between these two disciples and our Lord as they make this sorrowful walk home from Jerusalem. Holy Spirit, protect our thoughts this morning, protect them from mental drift this morning, and make our hearts fertile ground for your holy word and glorious gospel to grow and to grow strong. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So these two disciples of Jesus probably came to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration there. Maybe they'd even been there at the, the early stages, right, and laid down palm branches as Jesus made his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. From what they say later, we know that they came to Jerusalem with a great deal of hope, a lot of expectation regarding who Jesus is and, and what he was going to do. And, and now here they are leaving with, 
with what appears to be no hope. Uh, one is named Cleopas. Cleopas. Uh, the other is named we don't know. Uh, it's never mentioned here or any of the other Gospels. You, you probably see this, and, and if you're like most people, you probably assume it's just two men walking down the road together, but it could just as likely be a man and his wife or his, his daughter or something like that. We, we simply don't know. Uh, we don't know anything about them except <clears throat> they're disciples of our Lord who are traveling away from Jerusalem. They're traveling away to this, this village, uh, Amasis, and, and as far as that little village goes, we know even less about it because, you see, cities actually leave behind a great deal of archaeological evidence uh, over the course of thousands of years, but little villages, not so much. Um, we don't even know where this village was for sure. There's a couple of different theories, but no one knows for certain. What we do know is it's, it's seven miles, right, which means it should be simple, just measure out seven miles, but... Right? Even that's kind of a, an abbreviated term, seven miles here. Um, but to put it into some perspective from Jerusalem, from where you are sitting right now, seven miles from here will get you to the dam up at Tuttle Creek Lake, uh, one direction. It'll get you all the way to the, uh, the airport the other direction. And, and the boy says, I, I don't know your direction. Somewhere out there, seven miles, you can, you can measure it on your way home today. Um, anyway, that kind of puts it in the perspective of walking that distance is, is the route they're taking. Um, the, the bigger deal here is that in, in some sense they are actually walking in the wrong direction because they're, they're walking away from the presence of fellowship of, uh, of other disciples in, in Jerusalem and they're walking away with this hopelessness and, and, and really we learn later that their faith is just hum- crumbling at this moment. Uh, unfortunately, this is a common occurrence. People struggle in their faith and they begin to, to, to pull away from worship, from covenant community, from fellowship with other Christians and, and, and that pulling away often just leads to greater struggle in that regard. Listen, if the day comes that, that you have doubts about Jesus, about Scripture, if you find yourself depressed, feeling distant from God or others, uh, at, at that time, you're going to want to walk away from fellowship. I'm just going to tell you that because I've seen it over and over and over again. That's going to be the feeling you have. Do not trust that feeling. Fight it. Instead, move deeper into covenant community, deeper into fellowship with, with strong believers who can encourage you. Now, even as they are walking away from, from this wider fellowship in Jerusalem, one of the things we see that's great is, is they're talking to each other as they're walking. They're not just in silence, which is it's good. It's real good, right? Whether this is a, a close friend of uh, two guys that are close friends or uh, a husband and a wife or whatever it might be, they, they are discussing Jesus, and this has potential to be encouraging. It's something we can learn here, right? Especially in the midst of this great disappointment, these doubts. You see, the church is a safe place to ask questions and to have real discussions, knowing that you'll be pointed back to Jesus, back to the gospel. And listen, if, if, you, don't, if you don't have time for conversations about God in your life, about his word, you, you need to make time. Absolutely. There's, there's no other way to put it. You need to make time. Life is too short. Jesus is too important. Furthermore, May the words of Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5.11 instruct us where, where he there says, Therefore, encourage one another, build up one another, just as you are doing. Let us seek to do that day in, day out, week in, week out. So then, uh, anyway, these two disciples are, are talking about all this drama around uh, Jesus' crucifixion going on there, right? The, and the women saying that the tomb is empty, uh, that Jesus is, is resurrected, all that kind of thing that is what they're talking about. And, and that's when Jesus just sidles up right next to them, and, and thankfully they, they don't use that dumb phrase that we use in our culture all the time and probably don't think about it, right? None of them are like, oh, speak of the devil. Uh, because that would be a weird thing to say to Jesus. You don't want to do that. Uh, 
but more so because they don't even recognize Jesus, right? Because God is God and he has prevented them from recognizing Jesus. Uh, Verse 16 says their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And so all they kind of understand is is some guy, some some fellow has just come on up and and got into their business, right? Some some nosy dude, uh, because he starts wanting to know, oh, what are you talking about? I kind of heard you back there. Uh, He's clearly been eavesdropping on some, some regard. And, and, you know, that's the way it goes. My, my children do this, right? Uh, especially our, our youngest one, who I won't name. Uh, she'll be two rooms away and somehow still be eavesdropping on us. We, we know because she has absolutely zero chill in her life. And so suddenly she'll shout down the hall something to do with the conversation, some question uh, about a conversation that's none of her business, right? She'll be like, why did Nathan introduce himself to the wrong girl? And we're like, what are you? Stop talking. You know, uh, it's just kind of the way it goes. Uh, now, to be fair, she, she comes about it absolutely honestly. Uh, honestly, I eavesdrop in conversations in, in coffee shops all the time. Uh, and a lot like, like Berkeley, oh man, I named her. Uh, a, a lot like she who shall not be named, I have zero chill. I'll suddenly start asking these clarifying questions about this conversation that is absolutely none of my business. And, and here's the strangest part, though. People almost always will explain things to me as if it was my business. It's just some weird guy who's been eavesdropping on them, and suddenly they're, they're like, yeah, let me explain all the details so you can know what's going on. Uh, and, and that's what's happening on this road to Amasis, right? Now, but before they actually respond, we, we get this intriguing statement at the end of verse 17 that kind of just gives you a little bit of, of what you would see if you're there, right? And, and they stood still looking sad. That's the description of these two disciples. Some guy comes up, asks questions, and their first thing is just to stop and look sad, right? Which gives us some insight into their spiritual condition. You see, the, the things that have happened with, with Jesus are incredibly well known already, right? It's happened quick, but everyone knows this. <clears throat> and these disciples are wondering if, 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 if Jesus has been living under a rock, right? Or this traveler, as they know him at this point, if he's been living under a rock, and it kind of do you not have news? Do you not have social media? How do you not know this information? I remember uh, last year after the, the January 6th events at the Capitol, uh, that, that, that evening at the men's Bible study, someone was talking about, the kind of speaking about it. I had no idea what they were talking about. I hadn't seen any news or any, heard anything about it all day. And I can remember that look on their face, like, how do you not know this is going on right now? Um, that's got to be how they're looking at Jesus at this point. When, when he says in verse 18, right, they say in verse 17, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? Now the great irony here is that Jesus is the only person who really knows what's been happening at this point. And yet, it's kind of curious the way Jesus doesn't answer that question. Instead he asks a question, what things? on purpose, it really is, and in a sense Jesus is, is messing with them. He's, he's not being dishonest, he hasn't lied here by any means, he's not being mean-spirited here. He, he's doing something that most of us need to learn to do better. He's drawing these, these two people with so many questions, so many doubts, he's drawing them into this deeper conversation about, about God, about Jesus. Right? He could have just, of course I know. Yeah, I know. Uh, you know, anything like that. But he draws them into this conversation. You see, Jesus is an- interested, or isn't interested in the news itself here, right? He's interested in how these two are processing the news. He's interested in that. 
There's a lot we can learn from our Lord here, right? Can, can, we, can we learn? Can we learn to, to care about friends and classmates and coworkers, even weird strangers in our coffee shops? Can we learn to care so much that we draw them into deeper conversations about life, about God, about Scripture, about whatever might be going on? That, in other words, can we be curious about people? Yeah, even, even nosy about people. Let, let's ask them questions and, and listen well, and, and then, then let's boldly but graciously bring the truth of the Scripture into whatever conversation we find ourselves in, wherever that might be. See, Jesus' question and most likely his, his tone, right, is, is welcoming so that one of the disciples, Cleopas, just unloads everything he's been wrestling with. He just kind of, here's the news, don't you know this stuff? He even reveals a lot about himself when he's relaying that news, right? He, he tells so much of Jesus' story, so much so that, that some have called this the gospel according to Cleopas, only it's no gospel, as you might have noticed already, it lacks a confident proclamation of the resurrection. Most of it's spot on though, right? He, he boldly says concerning Jesus of Nazareth, the man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. You might have noticed he, he pins it on the, the Jewish leaders there, not the Romans who, who actually put the nails in his hands and feet. Uh, anyway, look closely at verse 21, because <clears throat> here you, I want you to see it, right? Do, do, do you hear the air just go out of, of Cleopas, and his heart seemed to sink in these next words spoken? There's a lot revealed in this phrase, but, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Jesus heard it, and Jesus knew it was there all along, right? Now, we, we, we know why they stood so sad there, looking sad still, the Right? They're dis disheartened. They are found themselves stuck in this moment. Maybe you've been there before. Maybe you're there now. Some great expectation for, for school, right? For, for career, for relationships, retirement, whatever it might be. It's just been crushed. This is not the way I expected things to go. For these two, it's because Jesus is not the redeemer that they expected him to be. Clearly, they're, they're thinking of political deliverance uh, of their nation. Philip, Philip Ryken points out that <clears throat> these two had hoped that Jesus would purchase their salvation, not by dying on the cross, but by delivering them from the Romans. Right? They went in with this expectation of triumph, not a cross. So, of course, their expectations were crushed. The moment Jesus was crushed for our iniquities. And, and here we are 2,000 years later, and often our hearts return to these same expectations of God. We want triumph, not the cross. The bottom line is the faith of these two disciples has been absolutely rattled. You can see it as they continue to tell their story, right? There's some qualifiers there. That the women are, are saying this, that they had a vision of angels, um, Right? They, they explain how they even went out to, to confirm that the tomb was empty themselves. And, and there at the end, though, we get this, this statement, right? But, but we didn't see Jesus. Sure, the tomb's empty, but we didn't see Jesus. On some level, them saying this is, is kind of funny because they're looking at Jesus as they're telling him, we didn't see Jesus. Still haven't, fellow. Uh, they're a lot like, you know, every man who's ever looked for something in the fridge. Honey, there's no Chick-fil-A sauce in this fridge. I swear, I, I'm looking at it right now, and 
Only for her to point out 12 inches in front of my face, there it is. Maybe from now on I can assume that, that God has just prevented me from seeing the, the CFA sauce. Um, in, in all seriousness, no, it's, it's, it's not difficult for us to see why these two are so distraught. Because if you think about it, if I think about it, if, if I believe that the history of Jesus ended without the resurrection, no resurrection, I would be absolutely distraught as well. Right? Because as, as Paul says later in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Plus they're disappointed, right? Because their expectations weren't met in the way they expected them. It's a redundant statement. Uh, and so then they're, they're honestly poured out their hearts to Jesus and now Jesus speaks to them after listening. I love how he corrects them. Sometimes we, we miss the fact that, that correction can sound incredibly harsh, and, and yet the heart of that correction is a deep love from the one speaking it to the one receiving it, hearing it. Jesus here teaches them what they need to know and to believe if they are going to have hope again, restored hope, real hope, lasting hope that can truly comfort them. So look at verse 25. Look what Jesus says. O oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe, all the prophets have spoken. In case you're wondering, that, that letter O, right, that is actually in the Greek. It is not something that was kind of added to try to bring sort of emphasis into this. It is there. In our family, when someone says something impressively dumb, we'll, we'll put that O before their name, right? Uh, another one of my daughters, not Berkeley, I won't name her either, um, is lactose intolerant and in absolute denial of this. She'll stand there complaining about her stomach aching while she continues to drink this giant glass of milk. Uh, and we'll just say, oh, Sadie. Right? Because this is not smart. Right? It, it, it really translates to, I love you, but you are being really dumb right now. Um, it, it's a similar sentiment with a lot more weight, a lot more seriousness here when, when Jesus says this. Oh, foolish ones. Right? There is a, a, you can hear the love in the statement and the correction, calling them out for how foolish they've been. And then he says, they are slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. See, here, here's what Jesus is getting at here. Like, like so many of the Jews of their day, they are familiar with so much of what the prophets have spoken. They have so much of it memorized. They believe so much of it. However, only certain parts of the prophets' words have soaked into their memories that have really, really driven in. And that's the only part of God's word. That part of God's word is the only part that's shaping what their expectations are. And that gives them a skewed idea of how things are supposed to go. See, Jesus is... It's showing them that their, their hopes are dashed because their hopes have been based only on part of what the prophets have spoken, an incomplete view of it. To, to be a little more clear, they're, they're focused on these glory passages regarding the prophets, uh, you know, the Messiah. That those that, that say when the Messiah comes, he's going to conquer and he's going to liberate and there's so much triumph in that. And, and that's true, Jesus has conquered death and sin. He has set captives uh, those captive to sin free. It is absolutely true that, that Jesus will return in absolute triumph and absolute glory and reign in absolute power. And we do look forward to that. Those things are true. But if, if that's all you know, you don't know the full story. That doesn't picture, point, paint the picture of the Messiah properly, fully. 
It, it, it's kind of like the, the, those crooked preachers that are on TV trying to get people's money, right, who, who focus on a handful of passages about God blessing faithful people who give to this kind of ministry uh, with great health and great wealth, and at the same time, they neglect all the other passages that show God's people when they are poor, when they are suffer despite faithfulness. Even the fact that Jesus was both of those, poor and suffering. They, they neglect, the, this neglect of the whole of Scripture creates this messed up view about who God is and how he works. You see, the Jews at this time, focusing only on these glory passages, has led to this wrong expectation, such that they believed the Messiah, that, that Jesus would come in this political power. They have no concept for what they actually witnessed. They have no concept of the suffering servants. In, in, in verse 26, Jesus gives them the correction they need. They, 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 right, he, he speaks in this old school Yoda rhetorical-like way. Was it not necessary? Let me just put it normal for you. Uh, it was not only okay that the Messiah suffered. Not only okay, it was necessary that the Messiah, that Jesus, suffer like he did and then enter into glory. In other words, what has happened with Jesus, his suffering, his crucifixion, his burial, his resurrection, all of these things that have happened, this is exactly what was supposed to happen always according to the scriptures. Which brings us to verse 27. It's one of my favorite verses in scripture. If you were granted the ability to travel in time and, and watch and be present and, and listen to any event in, in Jesus' life before the ascension, what would you choose? Right? Would you, would you want to go and visit with his family in the manger? Would you want to peek over his shoulder at the feeding of the 5,000 just to see what's going on? How is this happening? Right? Would you want a, a glass or two of the miraculous wedding wine in Cana? Would you want to be close enough to see what Jesus actually wrote in the sand after he protected the woman caught in adultery. Maybe you'd want to lay down a palm branch during the triumphant entrance in Jerusalem or be in the room where it happened at the Last Supper, the first Lord's Supper, broken bread with him. You know, there, there, there's so many events that we kind of think, oh, that'd be wonderful to just be there. This is one of those events, right, on that, that top list, right? Because Jesus shows them the, the entire Bible, the entire, would have, what would have been the Old Testament of the time, beginning to end, and he's showing them how it is all ultimately about him. Moses and the prophets, right? That's the way he words it. We see that in verse 27. Those, those are the two Old Testament divisions that were generally recognized by the Jews, Moses was Genesis to Deuteronomy. Prophets included Joshua and Samuel and all, all those, right? As well as all the things we consider the prophets today. Here Jesus explains it all in reference to himself. How amazing that here is Jesus, the word of God incarnate, explaining the word of God written. Can you imagine getting to hear that? And I find myself just wishing that was recorded. Why is this not written down? And yet knowing that God has good reason for doing so. His reason he doesn't give us. Not specific, but, you know, the, the more I think about it, I can't help but wondering if, if God wants us to be always reading the Old Testament, looking for what it says about Jesus to be, to be doing so. And if everything Jesus had said here was recorded, maybe we'd just be like, it's there in Luke 24 and 25, right? We, we'd fail to really do biblical theology. We'd fail to, to study the scriptures and see how it progressively reveals Jesus and how it points to him. 
But can you imagine being one of those two disciples as he taught them? Here's Jesus beginning in Genesis, right? And he's explaining things. Jesus is the, the seed of the woman, true flesh and blood, who will be bruised by the devil before he crushes the head of the devil. Right? Eventually he gets to Exodus 12 and, and how it's speaking of Jesus when we learn that, that God, God, God's people will be delivered from death through the sacrifice of a Passover lamb. Right? When Leviticus 16 declares that atonement can only be made by the shedding of sacrificial blood, that it's about Jesus, right? When, when, when everyone looks upon the broad serpent that has been lifted up in Numbers 2, when, when they're delivered from death through that, that act, right? That this is pointing to Jesus. When we learn in Deuteronomy 27 that covenant-breaking sinners may find grace and forgiveness in the blood-sprinkled altar of God, this is pointing to Jesus, to his blood shed upon the cross. Now, some of you are probably thinking, oh man, this could go very long today because that's, you realize that's just the first five books of the Bible and you're thinking, there's 34 more in the Old Testament. Are we doing all of them? I, I won't do every book. I won't. But we absolutely could. And, and, and many places throughout all of these book, <clears throat> books, we, we, we could see how Jonah's three days in the belly of a great fish points to Jesus' three days in the belly of the tomb. We, we could see how, how Jesus... Uh, we could see Jesus in the Son of Man who rises on the clouds and is coming in glory in the Daniel 7 prophecies. We could open up to Psalm 16 and, and know that it's ultimately about Jesus when we read that, that God's Holy One will not be abandoned to the grave. We, we could consider the, the pierced one in Zechariah 12.10 and, and see how it points to the nails through our Lord's on the cross. You get it? Jesus is the thread that runs through the Scriptures. Jesus is the prophet who proclaims God's word like Moses. He is the priest who lifts up his voice to pray like Aaron. He is uh, like David is the king after God's own heart, right? When we see Ruth's redemption, it points us to Jesus. When Samson, right, that crazy story, and you're like, how does this have to do with anything? He kills himself at the end by, by pushing out those pillars and crushes him, right? When we see him selflessly sacrifice himself, and in a lot of ways it is pointing to Jesus. When we read about the sacrifice of Isaac, we see Jesus. Philip Riken once said, I could preach from the scriptures every day for the rest of my life and not begin to exhaust everything that is said about Jesus in the Old Testament. On every page, his coming is prophesied, his life is prefigured, his sufferings are personified, or his resurrection life is promised. The Old Testament has one central theme, and that theme is Christ. Specifically, what Jesus is showing these two struggling disciples was that what has happened was supposed to happen. That the Christ... The Messiah was always supposed to be the suffering servant. And in correcting their understanding of Scripture, he's correcting their expectations, which is restoring their hope. Jesus is the Redeemer, but he is the Redeemer in a way that is far greater than these two had expected. He's the Redeemer of their eternal souls. Next week, we're going to see how these two disciples respond. For, for now, I... I just want to remind you to, to push against this, this idea that somehow sometimes seems to whisper in our hearts and our minds. I mentioned it last week, this, this idea that if I could just sit down with Jesus bodily in the flesh, that would revolutionize my flesh, my faith. That would change everything for me. 
Because again, this, this week, Jesus could have pointed to himself, right? His resurrected body right then. He could have been, listen, I understand you're struggling with this, but look, it's me. I am alive. He, he could have uh, just removed all of their doubts like, in that way and, and, and said that, right? But, but Jesus doesn't do that. He points them to the scriptures. I can't help but wonder if that's a big reason that he prevents them from knowing who he is. To show them the dependence on the Holy Scriptures here. To, that he can point them to the Scriptures because the Scriptures point to him. See, through the Holy Spirit, God's Word has power to lead us to faith and to strengthen our faith even today. One day we will see Jesus face to face. We will embrace him physically. We will rejoice and what a glorious thing that will be. We can look forward to that. But until then, we, we see Jesus in every single page of these Holy Scriptures. I knew that was going to happen. My hand kept hitting it. So we see him in every page of these holy scriptures. And so let us rejoice in that. Let us, let us meditate on these words. Let us marinate in these pages. Let us hear these words. Let us see Jesus all throughout as he is truly revealed. Let us pray. Father, may what we have learned today from Jesus our Lord continue to draw us into your word. To continue to draw us in as we read it alone in our homes, our dorms, as we read it aloud as families, or as cross tables with friends and in small groups with those in this covenant community and wherever else that we have the privilege to dive deeply into your glorious word. Father, draw us into it. Make us to love it. Make us to see Christ everywhere in it. May we see your work of redemption from Genesis to Revelation. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.